Chris Williamson, how's it going, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm fantastic. And um, the episode where I, where I was on your podcast isn't out yet, right? That will be out next week. Okay. Good. Next week. I'm I'm glad I didn't miss that. The chance. No. To promote it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it'll be out soon. Search Modern Wisdom, and it'll be up probably maybe even by the time this is up or whatever. You're like, yeah, dude, it's been out a week and a half and you haven't promoted it at all, you asshole. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I just want to talk with you today about what you're best at. And it seems to be that content, that the Modern Wisdom podcast. Um, and I just really want to know what it is, what, what little steps you took do you think that made the, the biggest difference to, to your success on that? And and the reason I think you have success is because of the quality of guests that you've had on there. Um, and maybe I guess you can shed more of a light onto some of the guests that you've had. But what I'm mainly interested in is the content and um, how you've been able to to grow grow your content and your subscriber base. For sure, man. Yeah, cool. Um, so for the people who don't know who I am, I'm a, a business owner from the UK. Uh, I've done some reality TV stuff back in the day, Love Island, which is like a Bachelor in Paradise type show. So I did that, been a club promoter for a long time, businesses and blah, blah, blah. And then started the podcast a couple of years ago. I really enjoyed the process. I love having conversations. I like talking to people about all sorts of stuff, kind of endless amount of curiosity. And um, doing the podcast was a good way to satisfy that. So I think naturally being curious is always going to help because you're genuinely interested. You know, our conversation that I had with you, I really wanted to know what it was like to do the things that you do on YouTube, to do the things that you do with weightlifting, to coach the sorts of people you coach. And inevitably, you end up having a really engaging, interesting conversation because you actually care, right? So yeah. the, the main thing is to try and do something which aligns with your passion. So an easy place for anyone, and this doesn't matter whether you're trying to start a podcast or build a business or just be a good mom or whatever it might be, but whatever feels for you like fun, but fulfills for everybody else like work is where your competitive advantage is always going to be. And I think that you mentioned this about how long you spend editing videos just because you love it. You love having the, like the perfect uh, uh, file at the end and it's, all the transitions are right and the music's right and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, that's why you've got competitive advantage, you know? Yeah. So, so like just having fun around whatever you're doing, you know, you're always winning for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing as well is that it doesn't matter if you fail, like by some quantifiable metric of success. Like if you don't hit, if you don't become the biggest YouTuber on the Facebook or whatever it might be, it doesn't matter because you were doing something that you enjoyed in any case. So the end result it, it didn't really matter. So, um, yeah, the podcast, I absolutely love it. Um, some of the guests that your audience might know, James Altucher, Aubrey Marcus, James Clear, uh, Dave Castro, Dan Bailey, yourself, uh, Ryan Fisher, uh, Dr. Sam Spinelli, Dr. Quinn Hennock, Dr. Stuart McGill, David Sinclair, who's one of the top 50 most influential health professionals on the planet. Um, you know, uh, you said Dave, Dave Rubin. Rubin on there. Yeah. Dave Rubin today. Dave Rubin went out today. Jordan yeah, Peterson, wow. Jordan Peterson tweeted about the show at the start of this week and just said, I like this show. There's some good guests on here that are all my friends. You should go check it out. So there's some big names, you know, like, nice. yeah, nice. yeah, it's like <laughs> calling in the fucking nuclear warhead to come and drive some traffic to your page. Um, so, so yeah, what, man, 
what what have uh, I'm curious because you've done a lot of you've done a lot of podcasts with a lot of people. You know, if you were to just step away and like distill down some of the things you've learned that you, you know, that maybe you didn't think were were the case or whatever, where you're like, hey, you know, constantly again and again and again, I keep hearing the same thing from all these different people, you know, in in the realm of being successful at what they're doing. Are there any things you can distill down from that? Definitely one of them is do something that you enjoy because that is where your competitive advantage lies. It lies in doing, doing the thing which to you feels like fun, but for everybody else feels like work. Um, Also realizing that pretty much anything that you're iterating on. So whether it be weightlifting, whether it be uh, behavior change, personal development, building a, a platform, building a podcast, doing whatever really it's going to be a couple of very specific rules for success. And then you're just going to keep doing the same thing. So I think a lot of people look at, you know, weightlifting is a good example for this. Might look at a weightlifter and think that that particular weightlifter is going to be pumped for every single session. It's like, no, they're going to fucking hate 90% of the sessions, but they can deal with the boredom better than everybody else. They can deal with the monotony, maybe not the boredom, sorry. They can deal with the monotony better than everybody else because they have this passion and because they've just got little bits of novelty that are in there. So I think kind of appreciating that if you want to become really, really good at anything, it's going to take a bit of time. But thankfully with this sort of a platform, every guest's different, right? Yeah. So, you know, yes, the, what you're doing, it's a conversation for around about 60 minutes but the content of that couldn't be any more different. I met the guy, this guy called Bruce Turner, uh, who owned, uh, sorry, Bruce uh, Duckworth, owns Turner Duckworth uh, Graphic Design Company. He's the dude that created the Amazon Smile logo. Nice. You know the, wow. the, the, yeah, the thing yeah. under there? That was him, his company. And he sat down in a meeting with Jeff Bezos in like 1998 or something. And Jeff Bezos said, anyone who doesn't like this logo doesn't like puppies. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a that's, great <laughs> like yeah, what yeah. a what a way to be accredited by someone you know so but wow. you just get to meet different people see different people and and um it's awesome man you know the, the the platform really is growing and i think as well anybody that isn't having a half an hour to an hour per week focused conversation with a friend about just something that they're interested in where there's no phone there's no distraction there's no nothing else I think that they're really missing out on something that's quite therapeutic because it really does sharpen your skills. It makes you be forced to think more clearly. It makes right. you understand how to articulate your words and, and uh, remove that brain to mouth filter. And it also forces you to be rigorous with the way that you think because the person yeah. you're speaking to actually cares about what you're saying. So I have um, like a bit of advice I give to people that's like, look, you don't need to do a podcast, but I advise that for 30 minutes a week, either ring a friend, go for a walk, or sit down and, you know, don't do anything else other than have a discussion about something. And I think I find it real therapeutic. I, I get off these podcasts and I'm pumped. You know, I want to go Google all the shit that you've talked about or yeah. you go and learn about this new guy or follow someone new on Instagram, you know? So I think um, I, I, I like um, what you were saying about having fun, obviously. Uh, but to, in order to have a competitive advantage, there has to be that dichotomy where you're having fun, but somebody else is not, right? So it's like, I feel like there are certain things where a lot of people can have a lot of fun doing, okay? But if it's something like, 
weightlifting or fitness related, a lot of times people don't have fun. It's a chore to them. And so I think what's interesting is that you said, what did, what did you say exactly? It was like, um, you're having fun and they're not, or, or it's yeah, like, hard, so it's hard. whatever, whatever feels for you like fun, but feels for everybody else like a grind basically. Right. So that dichotomy I think is very important. And, um, also that dichotomy you talked about in training too, like you can be very pumped up for a session, but it's likely that if you're pumped up for every session that, that you're going to hit a pretty bad place at some point, um, you can't have an, an emotional tie to everything that you do. So it's, it's interesting because you could almost take that as, as like that statement as one of two ways. One is the first and probably most obvious is that um, do things that you like and focus on only doing things that you like. And the other way you could take it is find a way to enjoy the things you're doing and, and find a way to enjoy the process of what you're doing. Because and it's super like super weightlifting here is that the idea of like some people go into the gym with the mentality of like, I don't want to do this. I don't enjoy it. And it's really difficult to get the extra five or 10% quality of, of, you know, moving or quality of lifting or, or, you know, that, that little bit that, you know, is that much better every session compounded because they have the approach of this isn't what I want to do. You have other people that have this mentality that's like, I'm going to find a way to enjoy what I'm doing. And, and it, it's like a personality thing where some people, I have athletes like, you know, Meg, right. Who like is always happy, almost no matter what is happening around her is always in a positive mentality. Yeah, she's great, man. And like, imagine that person come in the gym every day and you know, whatever they're doing, they're just going to start enjoying it because that, that's their personality. And so it's like interesting that you could take that one of two ways where if you're not doing what you want, you're not going to enjoy it versus you're finding your way in the world and enjoying how that's happening. And it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, like, so, so Meg, that. so Meg would be kind of that, that she would fit into the, uh, Meg Scanlon for anyone who's listening. Yeah. She's one of Max's, I would better, uh, power lifters in the world. Um, yeah, world but record she, holder. yeah. And, 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 Beast. um, she, is you know she's nationally qualified weightlifter now yeah. like she she the last meet uh the arnold she flew above that total yeah, yeah qualified for nationals and it was like okay now you know she's just gotten better and better at weightlifting but she's that type of person that you were talking about will make any situation yeah it seems like almost one, there, which is no i'm not that person <laughs> yeah it's like there's no there's no it doesn't matter if there's gray skies because it's always you have a sunny disposition right yeah. that's interesting chris what do you think about that one i agree man yeah there's definitely people who are just able to make the best of whatever situation it is you know are you that on, person no not <laughs> not naturally not naturally i don't I think many guys not. are man like yeah. girls are bubbly you know they're bubbly and giggly and they're just having a good time and guys just fucking sulk in the corner like all of us do man <laughs> you know but especially in weightlifting because you guys have like a bench that's made for sulking you know yeah. like you finish your lift and then that's there's a, a sulking yeah. a sulking seat <laughs> and you take the sulking seat and sit there and just growl at people and if including you, yeah. yourself you know and, um, 50% of the sport is about telling other people how much you're suffering. <laughs> so you, it's, it's true. Like it's really true. Weightlifters love to 
like they love to highlight the fact that the sport they're doing is really hard and really tough and there's all this like emotional and mental component to it it's a it's definitely like a part of the training I think powerlifters are the same, man. You know, oh, if yeah. it's like you yeah. talk to a powerlifter and you're like, dude, how's your day? And they're walking into the gym, right? So they've got, what have they got? They've got Bag of Haribo in one hand, white <laughs> can of monster, white can of monster in the other, SBD weight belt over their shoulder yeah. and like 50, a huge bag. Like, yeah. you know, my, my max deadlift just in their bag. And um, they're walking into the gym and you're like, bro, how are you doing? He's like, oh, mate, today, five by five, <laughs> 80%. And you're like, Okay, it's one of those. It's like that's not your day. I asked how you are, not what the, <laughs> what the percentages are that you're moving today. But yeah, you're totally right. There's some people that are, they'll just take a situation, you know, and they'll get they'll, they'll just you'd strand them on a desert island, and they'd be f- like fucking playing football with the coconuts or something, right? You know, because that's right. just the way that they are. Um, but good example of this actually from the world of powerlifting is a kid called Dylan Nelson from the UK. He lives about 20, 20 miles from where I am on the coast. And this guy holds the under, I want to say under 23 or under 21 IPF squat record in the 83s. Um, He's a freak, a freak savage, like doubles at 295 at 83 at like 20 years of age. And um, he, uh, he's struggling with his training because he's in lockdown and he can't go to the gym and he has, he's not getting pumped up the way he trains. There might be some people listening that are the same, like some people are calm and chill. Yeah. And he needs the hairs standing up on the back of his neck. He's like amped up on caffeine and just snapping every, every, all the sticks that he can, all this stuff. And he, he hasn't got that. And he messaged me and he was like, Hey man, I'm, I'm really struggling with my motivation at the moment. I'm really kind of suffering and I, I don't want it to drop because I've got Europeans and worlds coming up next year. And I think maybe he's, he's going to be 22 or 23 and he knows this will be a real good chance to kind of make a name for himself while he's still technically a junior and stuff. And I chatted to him and he loves the sport, but even people that, that love it, when they have enough setbacks, they can still struggle, you know? And that's yeah. the same with anything that you're going to do. Like presuming that you're going to go in and be hump- pumped for every single session is, is a failing strategy. So if you're not the person that's the giggly, bubbly one, yeah. like try and surround yourself, try and get a couple of training partners that are a Meg, you know, like yeah, get a yeah. Meg as a training partner and then you can have a Zach or a Chris. Because the Meg will offset the Zach or the Chris, right? right? right. So if, if we could circle back to that other point you made too about the 30 minutes talking with someone like once a week, um, you know, that's something that I think that Max and I always end up sharing is like that we have these long drawn out discussions, uh, you know, most of the time it's weightlifting, but a lot of times it's, you know, cultural and um, because actually a lot of what we deal with being coaches is like psychological stuff. It's almost everything outside of um, the ins and outs of programming and, and the ins and outs of the sport. It's always about like, how does the mind get in the way of training? Um, and those are like some of the deeper discussions that we have. But I, I, I think that's very fascinating, a very fascinating idea that people need to have these sorts of discussions with people that are close to them. And I think that's actually something that we're lacking um, and something that I lacked for a long time was like having a conversation with someone that you admire and um, that person can be your friend, it can be someone you work with, but having a discussion about life, philosophy, whatever it is, completely uninterrupted. It's, 
honestly invaluable, man. It's the, it makes me feel so much better when I've had a discussion and I come out of it and I've learned something new or I, I, I've got, got a new, new way to view the world or I've questioned my assumptions about something. It like, it is, it's the, it feels like therapy to me in a bizarre way, like good therapy, you know, like it's something that I want to do so much that we're doing three episodes a week now, you know, I do three episodes a week of the podcast. That's like three to four hours of this kind of discussion. Plus I'll consume other content. You know, I'm listening to Ben Shapiro or your show or uh, Chris D'Elia or Joe Rogan, whoever it might be throughout the week, you know, just consuming different bits and pieces because I enjoy listening. But yeah, especially if you're a fan of a podcast, you should try, you should try programming in 30 minutes a week with a buddy, be rigorous, choose a topic and discuss something, you know, and you, you really will enjoy it. It seems like one of the, one of the big benefits that I find in, in consuming media like that and podcasts and having these discussions is the ability to break out of the echo chamber. And it's, it's so, it's so easy to, especially now, you know, like you go on YouTube and your ads are targeted and everything's targeted to your current structure of thoughts and beliefs and desires and having conversations with people that you disagree with is super. Yeah. Like we just did. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like, and, and going into it without the, without the assumption of like, I don't agree with this person. So I'm going to find, you know, how, how, how wrong this is, but going in with the assumption like, well, let me see if I can find something that this person's talking about that I can start to get behind. And, and like with training and stuff, that's, you know, that's generally gonna be more limited because it's such a, it's such a process oriented, you know, technical thing. I mean, some people might do it differently, but you're still talking about training. The idea of like being able to get yourself out of your echo chamber of the five people that agree with everything I say and, you know, can, I'm going to talk to them about my problems, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's everybody else. It's not you. It's everyone else. They're, they're the problem. But you know, be able to like get out of your own belief systems and get out of your own your own stuff because the more you sort of trap yourself in that echo chamber, the harder it is to grow, right? I think I think that that is I think that's the most advanced form of it. So like someone like Joe Rogan having on that fringe alt right guy and then going to I think he had Bernie Sanders on, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. On, on his channel. And I think he's that a lot that, of guests. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's the man, he's the number one. It's, there's no if ands, or buts about it, but I, I would, I would venture to say that that is the most advanced form of like discussion when you're so in deep enough where you, you're not cognitively entrenched enough to go yeah. and explore things that are, you may completely disagree with. I think actually, you know, having those go to guys on last episode or, or sorry, two episodes ago was good for us for sure. And, and what actually, happened? the point, well, Max made a point in our recap uh, video. He was like, I didn't leave completely convinced that their methodology is, is total shit. You know, and he, he could be convinced that he could still be convinced that what they're doing is okay and it, and it ends up working. Um, and I think that that mindset after basically disagreeing with 
the way that they procure, the way that they show their methodology to the world, almost disagreeing with it the entire episode, he still left with somewhat of an open mind. Um, and Chris, uh, did you did you get to check it out at all? Not yet. No, still got to watch that one. So, so basically, we had on on guys who essentially I, I started calling out because a lot of the terms they were using were absolute and none of it had any evidence or, or um, any science backing it up. So we ended up having this big back and forth and I said, you know what, let's just have them on the podcast. And that ended up being an interesting, you know, little debate. So were you able to keep yourselves emotionally detached from that? Obviously it's quite easy in a situation like that when you think that they are wrong and you think that you're right to feel that anger and discomfort sort of burbling inside of you. And then you still got to stay sufficiently chill to just get your words out. Right. And you don't want to just kind of, Oh, but you were wrong. And you know, snap at people. How, how did you feel while that was going on? I, I was told that I was more of the emotional one, which, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, but, you know, but that, I, to be fair, people, yeah. people were like, dude, you guys, all, a lot of the comments on YouTube, they were like, dude, you guys were incredibly patient. Yeah. Incredibly. And there was like one or two comments being like, ah, Zach's emotions got the best of him. Yeah. To, to be honest, I really just wanted to push the guy a little bit. Like I wanted to pressure him a little bit instead of just kind of asking, do you have any evidence? Like stuff like that. Like I kind of wanted to be like, hey, you can't do stuff like that. Um, and it was yeah. nice to be that at, at some point I was kind of slightly more emotional than I would like to have been. But I feel like for the most part, we were we were fine. It didn't, it definitely didn't feel like it turned into an argument at any point. I think that like, you know, you know, it's like you have to be able to walk into situations with, with an, I mean, a truly open mind is going in without any predetermined expectation and, and saying, you know, okay, well, like, let's see what this guy's going to tell me. And then let me weigh that against the, the knowledge I have, and, you know, are there things that are contradictory? I mean, it's just critical thinking, but it's hard because you're talking to somebody who's not able to get to that point where they're, they're, they've dug in, they've decided on, you know, these are the things that are true in reality, and I'm going to tell you how true they are by telling you with a louder voice and more <laughs> passionately, you know, um, like, like it, it's a lot like, and not to, to knock him or say any of those guys are flat earthers, but it's a lot like that <laughs> argument where, well, it's like, you're, you're just looking for the evidence to support your answer, or you're looking to find the, you know, the, the answer somewhere in this, you know, collage of pit, cherry picked evidence to, yeah. Mm. So it's like, you're just, it's difficult because you're not able to have a discussion where somebody can say, Hey. You know, like there, I might not be right about everything, but like, here's what I believe. Like, you know, let me, let's discuss this, which is, is rare nowadays. I think, I think it's really hard to, it's really hard to find that. It's really hard to find people that are willing to, that are willing to, you know, put aside their beliefs to hear the possibility that other things could be, you know, other things that they thought were right or wrong are, you know, not true. But I've had over the last year, like three or four different guests on who've written books about how to have productive disagreements with people. Mm -hmm. and it's like rare that and they're from different fields as well, like real different fields. Yeah. Like why are so many people writing about this same topic? And it's obvious that at the moment, 
it's difficult to have a discussion without it, that vitriol, without that like uh, sort of militant kind of real dogmatic approach coming to it and you're getting very uh, emotional, right? So Eckhart Tolle has this thing that he says where um, in a conversation, you don't want to be proved wrong because being proven wrong is tantamount to destruction of the ego. Uh-huh. And that's, I think, what a lot of people feel. You know, you can say to someone, they'll say, the sky's green. And you're like, no, dude, it's blue. And they double down. They don't start to take your position. They dig <laughs> their heels in further. And they go, no, no, it's really, really fucking green. And you're uh-huh. like, I, this, isn't, this is no longer a conversation. But as you have more and more of these conversations, and, you know, hopefully some people at home might go away and, and, and try and do their own as well, they'll learn what it feels like to be proven wrong. And they'll learn that that's not destruction, you know, because it is, it, there's a, a good well, evolutionary reason for why we don't want to be proven wrong in a group. And it's that it would lower our social status, right? That's the same reason that people yeah. have a fear of public speaking. You have a fear of public speaking because if you'd got up around the campfire in front of a group of 50, and those are the only 50 people you're ever going to see for the rest of your life, and you fuck up or say something stupid or do something that lowers your social ranking, that has really severe consequences. Whereas if you just blunder on stage during like a presentation or something, no one cares. Everyone's forgotten about it in the modern era. Um, But the same thing goes for this. You know, someone proves that you're wrong. This isn't some dominance battle for like who gets to control the harem of women and sleep with the world. I mean, it might be, (laughs) but it's probably not in this situation. And, um, you know, again, just deprogramming that, you know, letting go of that sort of stuff as well. Super, super uh, important. I mean, I I think it it also the concept of right and wrong being, you know, very, very much a dichotomy causes people to choose sides when maybe you don't need to choose sides. You know, you're, you're creating this thing where it's like, it has to be this thing. And I believe that it's this thing because of this, this, and this already you're the type of person that Max and I are going to want to argue with. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so that's what these, these go to loco, go to loco guys. God, I, I don't know. Max is struggling with their terminology as well. Um, go to guys <laughs> with them. It was like, they, that's how they were. I mean, and that's how they are. It's like, this is what we believe. And um, here is all the proof that shows you what we believe questioning what we believe and questioning the proof is not part of the discussion. And so they've created this dichotomy and it's like already, you know, if you don't do that, you can be a successful person still. And that's what I don't understand is like, if you have an idea, all of a sudden it becomes now I have to disprove everyone else's idea and make sure that mine is the absolute correct idea. But what if you have an idea and you're able to, make things happen with that idea you're executing but it's not the absolute right idea right you can still be incredibly successful and that's the thing is like we that's what we take issue with mm. so I, well, most people so, want their idea to be 100% right so that they can be the best you know yeah and it's not um there's a, uh, a an interesting thing to think about there in the pretty much every style of behavior change or training plan for you guys as well is mediated 
almost entirely by compliance. You know, there's no secret sauce. There's some better ways to do things. There's some worse ways to do things. But really, most programs for everything that you try and do have a few kernels of good stuff in them. And it's about how much are you complying to the program and are you doing it for a long enough period of time? That's it, you know? And then there's enough novelty added in. Like think about any behavior change, any online course that you do. There's like one or two key things that you do. Okay, so you're going to get up and do a morning routine every day or you're going to eat a calorie deficit or you're going to do this thing or you're going to do progressive overload or you're going to do whatever. It's like, okay, that's what you're doing. And then there's just little bits of novelty added in on top to get you away from that boredom, right? That's what we were talking about at the beginning. You need to have something that keeps you at least a little bit interesting and gives you a different bit of a flavor. Um, but with that in mind, it's like, well, you focus should really be on compliance, like making people enjoy the program so that they comply as much as possible, making, making sure that people understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and that they're doing it properly. And that's, you know, that's going to get 90%, 90% of the gains. Max, what do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much like uh, we talk about this a lot. And, and a, a good friend of mine once said, made a great point. Like the idea is the idea of like knowledge versus execution in that, you know, compliance and execution are basically synonymous here that, that executing the things you have to do to get better is far more valuable than the knowledge to know what's right and what's wrong. I mean, there, you know, there's, there's, you know, his example was there's no stock market for ideas, right? No one's buying or selling pieces of someone's idea because it's, it's worthless. It has no value. Actually, the, unless the it's Silicon Valley though, right? That, that was like the, one of the major flaws <laughs> well, was that people were literally only having ideas and they weren't executing. Sorry to. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you know, the reality is like, yeah, everything shakes out at some point, but, but the execution, right? You're buying or selling a business, right? Uh, and much like, much like in training and whatnot, you have the, the execution of the program and the degree to which you do it well is going to determine the outcome of it more so than the fact that it is the best program, you know, a poorly executed version of a, of a great program is probably better than no execution of uh, (laughs) the perfect perfect program, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I think seems to me like, and I don't know your guys' opinion, but like people attach themselves to ideas or to knowledge as a way to create an identity structure around themselves where if we have, you know, knowledge that's special or we have a secret or we have the most knowledge or the best knowledge, it is the shortcut to proving that we could do it in the real world. Like, oh, I know the best way to train. Yeah, obviously I've never been in shape and I've never had, you know, any success, but I know the best way. Therefore, I'm exempt from the laws of, of you know, execution and, and reality in that like, well, yeah, I mean, I know what's right, so I don't need to actually do it. Everyone knows that. That's just everyone's dad, isn't it? You know, the dad that sits and screams <laughs> yeah, at elite, yeah. elite level yeah. athletes yeah. On, the, yeah. on the screen and they're like, no, fucking run left. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, dad. You haven't played. You haven't played sport in decades. What are you on about? Screaming at the best <laughs> athletes on the planet here. Yeah. You know, and uh, you're right. By never having to actually put what you're saying into practice, you inoculate your ideas from yeah. ever needing to prove whether or not they work. And right. 
far too many people are prepared to armchair philosophize about right. the best way to do this. Zach, we brought up, you, you were talking about um, some of the comments and stuff that you get on your channel uh, during our show. And, you know, on that, like perfect example, people who have never recorded a single video in their life, never ever <laughs> have no idea what it's like to try and run a YouTube channel. People saying to me, fuck me, man. So here's, here's a good one for you, right? So, <laughs> oh, Douglas Murray, guy that wrote Madness of Crowds, um, New York Times bestselling author several times over, phenomenal guy, great speaker. I get him on the podcast. And as far as I'm concerned, I did the best interview in the world with him. Like people can go and check it out, but it was phenomenal. It just went super well. He'd had two glasses of wine. That might've had a lot to do with it. And uh, I nailed it, man. Like just perfect questions, amazing flow, brilliant. I felt like so good, real, like this guy who I've looked up to, I've read all his books. I think he's great. And he loved it. And he kept in touch afterwards, said he really loved it. And he just got all of these comments, really interesting questions, very unique, this, that, and the other. One guy, <laughs> one fucking guy. All the thing that he could say is that ceiling needs a clean. Yeah. No, that, oh, that shit. Yeah. That is the- I was like- See, that is, that is humanity in a nutshell, my friend. That is, I cannot tell you how many times that sort of shit do you, happens, man. Do you ever wonder what is going through those people's minds? Like you're, you're watching, you're, it's something completely unrelated to the topic. It has nothing to do with what's going on, but they, they are so like, I imagine that person is so fixated with the ceiling that like they're they're paralyzed by it i love <laughs> so i love me so, some yankee candles man i love me some yankee yeah, candles yeah. and they leave soot on the ceiling fucking shoot it's me like, they're so paralyzed by it that they had to leave a comment about it yeah but like, then on the on the flip side i can also kind of see <laughs> that like if i was if i was 17 and just yeah. watching some guy give an interview i'd be like ceiling needs a clean mate so, and that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem because there's no context. You yeah, know, there yeah, isn't yeah, any context, yeah. and you don't know that guy could have can can have just as much power as like a, a respected forty year old who's <sighs> been been doing man. shit. Fuck. That's Fuck an interesting uh, humans, yeah. man. Go ahead. Yeah. That's an interesting point. With uh, you, you're obviously super involved on on you know internet and and like the the sort of great equalizer that is you know social media or or youtube commenting in that every every single comment is essentially you know no one really knows who it's coming from so on one side you know if it's a great point or a great piece of knowledge and it came from somebody who you know we wouldn't look at as necessarily having a lot of you know clout i guess uh versus you know somebody who's a, a renowned you know intellectual do you find that that's, that's a net negative that everybody is given the same level of, of, you know, ability to give a comment versus, you know, in real life where you would, you know, look at the 17 year old. Yeah. Like, what, are you doing? what the fuck are you doing? Go back to school. Uh, well, it's the same way that elections work, right? You know, the vote of a right. stupid person is worth exactly the same as a vote of someone who's well informed on the topic. Yes. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I think personally for me, there's, there's two types of internet and you guys have definitely crossed into the second type of internet. First type of internet is um, your immediate social circle. Perhaps you put a project out. Maybe it's a new business. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's whatever. Um, and they're mostly people who can frame what's going on around you 
Uh, they probably have a bit of decorum. They're usually polite. Um, if they have negative things to say, they'll deliver them in a way which is productive um, as opposed to trolling. Um, that's first type. Second type <laughs> is like the fucking real internet. You know, it's like stepping outside of your house during a war zone, but it's like irradiated and there's aliens and just like human sized dicks running, running around and they're shooting everyone. <laughs> and you're like, that's the, that's the real internet out there. Right. And then what I'll see, because this is the beauty of podcasts, actually, you don't, because there's no virality to them. There's no, like, you don't have a fucking trending page on Apple podcasts or whatever. Right. Um, you grow that audience real slow. Even if it grows fast, it grows relative to YouTube, it grows slow. So it means that you kind of, it's always people that know what's going on yeah. um, and, and they kind of come with you. Yeah. Um, whereas what happens when you do a YouTube video that goes, that bangs and goes silly and does like a quarter of a million views, which for me, for me is kind of like up on the top end for some of the ones I do. And um, I did this one with Dr. David Sinclair, right? F top 50 most influential health professionals on the planet. Number one longevity doctor in the world. Been on Joe Rogan twice and blew him away. Unbelievable. And I was the only person to get him. I got more plays than Rich Roll's podcast, all this sort of stuff. Brilliant. But I'd had too much coffee, right? Like you guys in America, yeah. your, your Starbucks are like the size of my head. They're massive. So I go in, I've had this huge venti Americano thing and I'm vibrating. Like I'm not even, my feet aren't touching the ground. I'm just levitating off the floor, you know, as I'm just gliding in towards him like this. And I'd had too much caffeine and I was just like, just twiddling with the mic. I just like to play. I just, just uh, a little bit more gain, a little bit less gain, a little bit more gain. And bro, that was it because it did well. And it kind of went out to the real internet, 400 comments and all of them are stop touching the mic. Oh my God. Oh my God. I yeah. can't believe you're touching the mic. And it's like, ah, that's the, that's the irradiated penis people. That's like the real <laughs> internet out there that are fucking, you know, shooting each other. That's them. So yeah, you've got your audience, people that love your stuff. And then when it gets to the size where you start to get, you know, more and more people in, um, that's when you, you get exposed to the, uh, the other side of it. So uh, I, I want to circle back to ideas versus execution because that is a common topic on here. Um, something that Max likes to talk about a lot. And I rudely interrupted you, Max, and I talked about uh, Silicon Valley um, because of this documentary that I've also mentioned on here before, but it's the documentary on Elizabeth Holmes. Mm. Oh, um, Theranos. Yeah. yeah. I, I Bro, I just brought it, this up. Okay, okay. So, so the whole thing is, it's an idea. The, the entire, and then it, she gets investors on the idea. And then um, she gets a lot of money and she's brilliant. She's, or the way that she talks, she's incredibly eloquent. The idea is fantastic. It is the pinnacle of ideas, of something that if it were to come true, if it were to be executed upon, could actually make a substantial difference. And for years, they could not capitalize. For years. And then they just basically became defunct. And so at the end of the, the entire uh, documentary, they talk about how Silicon Valley was basically for a moment there was built on ideas at, rather than execution. And so companies will remain private so that they don't have to execute because they're not, you know, it, when they become public, they can become destroyed if they become public and they can't produce uh, or their, their just market share goes down and then they just die. 
Uh, so I, I thought that that's a, a really I good have, explanation of, of exactly what we're talking about and to the highest extent. I have a, a good friend, a former athlete of mine who, who's brilliant scientist and owns now a, a company, he's a part owner in a company that you know, develops medical, you know, develops drugs and, and is on the cutting edge of this. She has patents on, on you know, all sorts of different like, like yeast uh, like genetic yeast modification to produce different substances. But, uh, you know, they have this, this, their product they're going to develop is essentially like a, a synthetic version of a morphine, like opioid type drug where it's, you know, a thousand times stronger. So you, you know, you can produce much less of it and it becomes more profitable and you don't need opium. But, uh, it was interesting because she was talking about how when they met with different CEOs to try and run the thing, they kept running into this situation where the person's like, yeah, well, okay. So the plan will be like, let's, you know, let's get your valuation up to this point and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll IPO and then uh, we'll cash out. And, and there it is. And she's like, well, we don't really care about the value. We want to make a product. We want to make something. And, yeah. and she was talking about one interview in particular where she's like, we want to make something. And he was like, why? <laughs> why oh, why would you do that why wouldn't you just get your value oh, why would you just get your value high but, and then, yeah. yeah it's a it, exit yeah it's the world of speculation right where if hey this is a great idea and everyone dumps money in and that's you know okay so i have a theory then like and i want to kick this to, to chris have we been building up our economy on these things have we been building up all of these things on ideas and then when some shit goes down <laughs> like the coronavirus <laughs> where they say hey these fucking ideas and all this money surrounding it has to stop because it's non quote unquote non essential we see this economic downturn that is going to really really fuck us up is is that the sort of shit that we're doing you know year after year uh, is that the history that's repeating itself i think so maybe it's the um only in a society where you've got so much surplus as we do right now, would you be able to sell something which literally does not exist? And I, if you haven't seen that Theranos documentary, yeah. it is phenomenal. Have you heard, did you see the videos of it? They didn't include it in the documentary where she gets caught talking without her accent on. So she's, she lowers, <laughs> no she intentionally way. lowers her voice. So she talks like this. You know, so we've got Therno, it'll be one pin, pinprick of blood and this and uh, duh, duh. and like okay. she's, you know, she, she, sound, she sounds like a boy going through puberty. Um, wow. and, and she got caught. She was lowering her voice because she wanted to sound more commanding and more masculine in a male dominated industry. You know, she's with fucking Musk and Gates and all these people, these big CEOs and stuff like that. But when it comes to the economy, man, like, yeah. I, what the fuck's going on in Silicon Valley? I don't have a clue. I had Jason Calacanis on, who was like the second ever investor in Uber, third ever investor in Thumbtack, first guy in a Calm, the Calm app. So like this guy knows, knows yeah. his shit. Yeah. And bro, even he said, like the way that he goes on about it, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. He's like, you know, for every 40 that you do that are a bit shit, you might get one that, that, that kind of does okay. I'm thinking... What? How, how is that value creation? Oh, I understand how it's value creation. It's value creation because the one that works is so disproportionately overvalued versus what it's able to create. Yeah. 
that you're able to fund an organization which fails 39 in 40 times to get that one in 40. Um, so I don't know, man, like Silicon Valley sees everything as an uh, uh, optimization problem, you know, and I don't like the fact that yeah. I spend a lot of time with uh, marketers and uh, copywriters, advertising creatives, guy called Rory Sutherland, another one called Richard Shotton from the UK who write phenomenal adverts. And this uh, Bruce uh, Duckworth, the guy that said that created the Amazon Smile logo, you know, like that's, that's like the real ideas. That's actual ideas, unique ways of propositioning consumers with, with products, not something which never reaches the market. And what were we saying about before, about the fact that if you can armchair philosophize about, well, this product could do this and it might position itself like that and all of the stats and all of the numbers look good if we roll them forward, but no one actually gets to the point where it's adding tons and tons of value. So yeah, man, uh, I don't know. I hope that... Um, I hope that there is a little bit of a reset, you know, onto, onto businesses being able to... Be there won't f- be. You know, think? <laughs> no, no, no. We're not going to learn from any mistake we've ever made until, until something really bad happens. I mean, 2008 was only 12 years ago. And here we are making the same goddamn mistakes that we made in, in 2008, just in a different, different format. So this is why um, <laughs> this is why I think sort of a focus on personal sovereignty is the smartest way to live your life. Like I get it, you know, people that are behind social causes and stuff. And I had you know Dave Rubens on the podcast that came out today. Uh, subscribe now, Modern Wisdom, blah blah. Um, but I'm not I'm not so fussed. Like I can take or leave political discussion. Like it's fine, but I'm not really that fussed. And the reason is. I would much sooner make sure that my shit's sorted and that the shit of the people that I can connect with is sorted. And like the sort of the second order, third order, fourth order effects of what's going on out there. Like, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, um, it is a route to a miserable life. If you start confusing the controllables and the uncontrollables and holy fucking shit, if the economy and government policy and the way that Silicon Valley operates and all that stuff, that is the definition of an uncontrollable. So just sort your shit, make your bed, get up early, do the things that you're supposed to do, iterate on your ideas, connect with people that you care about. And like, you'll be fine. You know, like you will make yourself, if you focus on making yourself as robust as you can to all of the other shit that's going on, when stuff happens, it'll just bounce off you. You know, the people, the people now that have the biggest challenges financially with coronavirus in the UK, I can't speak for America because I don't quite know how it works. But certainly in the UK, it's the people who only had one source of income. Okay, so we reintegrate back into the world and maybe everybody gets a side hustle. And maybe it's not, you know, fucking doing, working two jobs at night or maybe it's not someone actually doing a business on the side, but maybe it's little bits and pieces, whatever it might be. And then that person's learned a a real super fucking valuable lesson about, okay, what can I do to sort my shit? And then if the government steps in and has some really great policies that help us to avoid an economic downturn like this or a pandemic happening or whatever it might be, that'll layer on top of a more stable foundation. You got to sort your shit. Yeah. It's it's an interesting point too, because you could also say, you know, could it go the other way and say like, you know, um, is it, is it really like, let's say, you know, you have company, a company or a business, whether it's large or small, and it didn't, you didn't plan or manage things well enough to have, you know, a, a enough reserves to withstand a three to six month hiatus in business, right? Should they, should they just be allowed to shut down? I mean, should they, they should go bankrupt, right? As a, mm. as a lesson to say, like, it's not, 
it's not, you know, it is poor management in the sense that you, you didn't plan to have, you know, stockpiled a, a savings or whatever. And it's like, that's the question, right? Would you say like, well, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's all a process that is like a natural selection almost like the people that manage. <laughs> survival well. of the fist. Yeah. Right. Is yeah. it like, is it that kind of thing where it's like, okay, like, yeah, I mean, just let, let them, you know, what is the Rocky thing? If he dies, he dies. <laughs> right. Like, it's just like, like, yeah, sorry. Like, you know, you didn't have the money. Like that's just the way it I goes. Think, I mean, I think the, next, um, next time, next time you'll probably have maybe a, you get, yeah. next pandemic. You'll yeah. be sweet. <laughs> um, October. Yeah. Uh, I think the stat was like most businesses or the average amount of cash in reserve that businesses had was 21 days. Yeah. Like I know they said three that. weeks. Yeah. They said, uh, like I I've heard this many times in the U S most, uh, most, what is it like something like 20% or 40% of the U S population wouldn't be able to tolerate an unexpected you know four hundred dollar bill or bill something. And i'm yeah. sure those so, numbers i've butchered but but you live you live you live sort of month to month on your own paycheck but people just presume that entrepreneurs or, or the businesses somehow have big stockpiles of cash so personally no. no i don't i don't think i don't think that that's the case you know anyone that's run a business especially a proper one with genuine overheads you know like a restaurant yeah. a cafe a bar something like that where you've got units and assets and things that need paying um, like you would never make any money, you know, if you had to hold a six months in reserve. So no, I, I think the, um, the pain of getting it wrong has been ratcheted up so much yeah. during the COVID-19 that it's an unfair, um, an unfair punishment essentially to someone who potentially didn't have so much robust financial planning. But it's like, sure. when was, when was the last real global problem that occurred that affected small businesses as well as big ones? You know, the 2008 financial crisis, it wasn't hurting cafes, you know, like a, a, a small family run coffee shop wasn't going to have to shut because of the 2008 financial crash. But this is, you know, this is really, really serious yeah. shit. So I think it'll, help to educate people. I mean, again, in the UK, man, we're a country the size of one of your states. In fact, the state that you're in, Zach, it's like fucking, yeah. <laughs> we're about yeah. a quarter, a quarter <laughs> of the size of yours. Yeah. Um, so it's much easier for the government to supplement people's wages. You know, like businesses aren't closing. It's just everyone's on furlough. The government's paying people to go home, stay at home. You know, that's it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, it's too big. You guys go to your countries, your country's far too big. It's far too sparse as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's certainly going to be some good stuff that comes out of it. Like people are going to reconnect with what it is that they care about. Like family. I've never, I've never spoken to my parents as much. Obviously it's because none of us have got anything else to do. But. <laughs> um, I, I think there was a point earlier. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah. Taking care of your own shit. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think that that's what, some people end up taking care of fitness and then they end up being like, wow, I really do like this. You know, instead of think, you know, I, if you have to clean your bed or, and clean your house and wake up early, there aren't too many professions where people are like, I really like doing this aspect well, and I want to teach people how to do this. But fitness is one of those things where if you clean up your fitness and, and, you, you really start working hard on it, you can think, wow, I really do enjoy this. Where someone else says, okay, you know, it's something that I have to get done. Mm. 
you it's know. the difference between the have to do's and the get to do's, right? But if you have to do food prepping in order to get to do fitness, or if you have to do wake your child up in order to get to do having a child that goes through the educational system appropriately, not everything is going to be fun and sunshine and rainbows. I can't remember, Zach, did we do the um, who would you call in prison? Uh, exercise uh, experiment yes yes yes, yes we can, can we do that with max yeah max it, okay so if you were in prison in a foreign country like a really messed up country i mean honestly like let's just say it's in the middle of like Sino- what is it sinola sinola yeah, like, yeah venezuela or some shit like I, that I, no no okay. i'm saying in mexico like right, oh, right yeah. in, the, in the heart of cartel land Okay, who are you going to call to get you out of prison? I'd call Chad. <laughs> I'd call Chad because I know he, he can get things done. That would be the... That's the, what I said. I, uh, Chad, Chad would be... The exact he's the guy. That's the, the exact first guy, answer I said. Yeah, he's the not, first not guy Chad, who yeah, reason, would yeah. go, you know, okay, and, and he would stay on it and he would make it happen. Bro, like that's, I, I, so yeah. that's it. You've nailed it. So this is an exercise which is called work out your high agency friend. It's from a buddy called George McGill. And high agency, as far as he's concerned, is the most important personality trait of the 21st century. And it's people who are able to have upward mobility. They take control. They're able to think laterally. Um, they don't need anyone else to get over their own inertia. Um, right. They're good at networking, all that sort of stuff. And they're able to come compile all of that and squeeze it down into an effective package that works in the real world right not the armchair philosophizing shit that we were talking about earlier on it's like not only do they have the ideas and they can think of it but then they have enough momentum and power to deploy that into the world as well and the exercise for everybody that's listening is who would you ring to get you out of a fucked up foreign jail like you're in the shit and you've got to be out in 24 hours and that person needs to get you out who are you going to ring and that friend is the one that's got high agency, you know, and that. So again, what is, value, Chris, then what value does, what value does that friend, he or she bring to your daily life or what's the importance of a high agency friend? Then? Great question. First off, the, the, you're, you're out of jail. You're not getting fucked up in Sinaloa or wherever it is. Sinaloa uh, cartel or something. I don't know. Sinaloa. Sinaloa there we go. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, so first things first, they can be actually quite challenging to be around. They're not, it's not probably that friendship's probably not going to be the smoothest one you've got because that person might do and say things and challenge your assumptions in ways that makes you feel uncomfortable, but you want to be friends with people that want the best for you, not people that want to tell you what you want to hear. So they're good people to go to for advice. Um, they're fantastic people to go to when you need someone to support you with stuff when you're going through a hard time because they're not just going to let you wallow in what it is that you're doing. They're going to look for a route out. They're always going to be looking for how can we, okay, like we, I understand here's a little bit of compassion, but not too much. And now how are we going to move forward? What's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? Right, right. That's the way those guys operate. People who can execute. 100% man. They're good friends. Chris, I think we're going to end it right there. That was a great little little talk. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. If you could, please plug every aspect of where people can find you. Plug your Instagram, all that good stuff. 
Sweet. So Modern Wisdom, search wherever you're listening, Spotify, iTunes, all the rest of it, Modern Wisdom or at Chris Will X on all social media. That's it, man. Go search my shit. Go watch my stuff. It's good. Got tons and tons of episodes, three episodes a week at the moment. Got guests like yourself, Mr. ZT. You'll be out next week. Um, loads on sports, loads on philosophy, a ton coming out to do. I got one from with a guy from the SAS, the British Special Services oh, coming cool. out soon. So very cool. Yeah, it's cool, man. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure, boys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, for coming on, man. That was awesome. Uh, if you guys are listening, please try to leave like a, a little review. If you're on uh, Apple Podcasts, it helps a ton. And uh, if you want to watch this podcast, you can go to Training Make Podcast on YouTube. Thank you guys so much.